Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to episode 73 of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul, here with co-host Pete and producer and more and more often now also host, yes. uh, Jack. How are we all? Bit, yeah. bit part contributor, I would say. <laughs> bit part contributor, oh, I like that. You've got to work your way up. I mean, he's yeah, he's opening a film review today, aren't you Jack? Are I you am, excited? yeah, I am very excited. Yeah. In the limelight, as they said. Don't, don't choke, you only yeah. get one oh, shot. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> Pete, what have, we got? what have we got this week? So, yes, Strangers in the Cinema is the show where we take you on a trip, a virtual trip, through the cinema, and we always start about this time with the In the Foyer section. This section, um, as you might expect, is where we gather in the virtual foyer and talk about something from the world of films that's grabbed our interest this week. And this week, Paul, it seems like there's only really one topic that's dominating headlines. That's last night's Golden Globe Award ceremony, often seen as a kind of precursor or predictor for some of the lay of the land when it comes to the Oscars, right? Yeah. Um, I guess we should kick this thing off with best film. Three billboards uh, outside Ebbing, Missouri, which we reviewed last week, has won this and also three other awards. How do you feel compared with the nominations that we've got here about that win? Well, it, just to go down the nominations, in fairness, a couple of them haven't reached us and one one, one released in about four cinemas around the country. So um, Dunkirk should never have been on that list, in my in my opinion. You yeah. talked me down, Pete, and uh, un- you were right to do so. Unsurprising I think. to see it there, though, yeah. I think, um, uh, Steven Spielberg's The Post, not reached us yet. Del Toro's The Shape of Water, not reached us yet. Call Me By Your Name is supposed to be incredible, um, but again, we haven't caught up with it. So in fairness, of the films on that list that we've seen, I suppose Three Billboards would be the deserving winner. Can, Although can I, would... can I be controversial yeah. here? I sound like I'm going back on myself, Paul, after the last, <laughs> last uh, well, I guess the last few months on this show. Of the films here, as you've quite rightly said, I've seen just two of them, Dunkirk and uh, Three Billboards. I would go for Dunkirk over Three Billboards. Oh, really? I, okay. I really feel like, and I think I got this across hopefully reasonably well last week, I, I feel a little bit... Um, Sad is too strong a word, but I feel like Three Billboards is getting maybe a bit of undeserved praise when it comes to all this sort of uh, awards buzz. But I'm uh, particularly with Mar- uh, Martin McDonough. I'm yes, going to get Martin it right McDonough, this week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah get, getting uh, also best screenplay uh, at these awards. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's a controversial opinion. Really, I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't, well, maybe. I mean, I'd I like Three Billboards. Probably, well, definitely like Three Billboards more than you did. I think. Um, and, I, But again, we had some problems with the tone of it. I think if you look at the other categories where it's won, Francis McDormand, it's an incredible performance. Um, There are some other really good performances on that list. So Jessica Chastain and Molly's Game, I think the performance was better than the film, and this Mm. nomination reflects that, I think. Um, Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Meryl Streep, The Post, I haven't seen it yet. Michelle Williams was great in All the Money in the World, which we'll get to uh, later on in the episode. But I think Francis McDormand probably deserves to win Best Actress. Are you... Would you come down on that? It's a whatever you thought of the film. It is a, it's a, it's a good performance. Yeah, I mean, I know um, it's Saoirse Ronan that's won the the. They've passed out the categories here, so comedy musical is yeah. separate to drama, and she's won there for Lady Bird, which you would imagine is going to get a lot more buzz when it comes to Oscars as well. Yeah, um, Greta Gerwig, it seems like, has been a bit snubbed when it comes to to screenplay, and I would just mention in the snubs department whilst I'm briefly there. 
I would say that you could make a strong case for Get Out being nominated in Best Film, despite the fact that I didn't place it in my top 10 of the year when we did that countdown. I think that compared to what we've got, it deserves at least to be maybe on that shortlist. But, you know, that's a, that could be a sort of long debate to have, I guess. What about Best Actor, Paul? Because we've got here, uh, nominations were Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, which we've mentioned numerous times we haven't seen yet. Denzel Washington uh, for Roman J. Israelic's Esquire, which I know very little about. Uh, Tom Hanks for The Post. Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread. Again, really excited for that, but it's not out till next month here. And then the winner, Gary Oldman for The Darkest Hour, which we're not reviewing until I mean, next I loved week. All those, I loved all those performances. I know, <laughs> I haven't seen any of those films yet. <laughs> well, you're not, uh, a, you're not yeah. a precog. I thought, no, I thought no. you had that going for you. When no, I think, you know, I think it's, you know, it's interesting, I think, for anyone to beat Daniel Day-Lewis to an acting award, especially when Daniel Day-Lewis has now announced his retirement, Gary Oldman's performance, I would hope, is fantastic. It looks like it will be very good as for the rest of the film I don't know um, we'll find out next week um, it's just a shame that we haven't got more of these films already to be honest um, yeah. I do find award season very frustrating but it seems for that, to but... happen with award ceremonies doesn't it like they will watch films before anyone on else does. Yeah, screeners are going out yeah, to, to, the, to the. Well, no, I think I think all decisions. these films, in fairness, are all on US. I think they're all on US release. I think that is how they qualify for the Golden Globes. To be fair, so I think they are widely available in the US now. It's right. good publicity um, as yeah. well for some of those, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, anything else worth mentioning before we move on? I, I wanted to give a shout. I know it's not strictly films, but Aziz Ansari picked up uh, Best Comedy Series or TV Series Musical Comedy. Uh, my, my cause that I was championing since last week, The Greatest Showman, managed to pick up Best Song as well. So it's on the awards I think list. I want to I highlight a snub. If Ridley Scott can get in there with all the money in the world and Chris Nolan can get a Best Director nomination for Dunkirk, then where the hell is Denny Villeneuve's nomination for Blade Runner 24? I'm glad Del Toro won for The Shape of Water. It looks incredible. He's a fantastic filmmaker. uh, And that's more of a genre piece than I would have expected to win Best Director. But where's Denny Villeneuve on that list? Because the direction, whatever you thought of Blade Runner 2049, and it's my film of last year, as you're probably aware if you listen to the show, the direction in that film is incredible. It looks amazing. And a lot of that is down to Deakins as well. But I just think where's, you know, it's almost like once again, awards, awards ceremonies are skewing sci-fi again. Yeah, uh, we should mention just a tag on the end of this as well. Uh, oh, hi, Mark. It was uh, the disaster artists, uh, James Franco, who picked up Best Actor Comedy Musical, uh, beating out uh, probably fairly disappointed Hugh Jackman, who was all singing, all dancing, and still didn't take the prize. And then this weird thing with Get Out, Paul, that I've mentioned once about being put into the comedy musical category, we then got a nomination in that category for Best Actor Daniel Kaluuya, which seems not that the performance is anything other than very strong but weird to call it a comedy musical performance is, I would say Get Out is quite funny though to there, be are, fair. there are a couple I, I of comedy beats in it but it's I don't know it feels a bit I, don't know, I, I think on sort of repeat viewings I can I would see it as a, a black comedy no no pun intended but um, I suppose just the, uh, the reason I said that is like the way that award ceremonies tend to treat at least comedy is to sort of look down on it a bit and maybe this is a good thing maybe the Golden Globes are elevating that genre in terms of uh, you know the esteem in which it's held but when you get to things like the Oscars comedy Comedies don't do a, get a lot of traction no. there, and it almost feels like Jordan Peele has been and his film have been sort of a little bit downgraded and also snubbed when it came to this award ceremony. But we'll see how this all plays out when we get round to the Oscars, I, I suppose, which is just uh, about a month away now, isn't it? Yes. And anyway, that pretty much wraps up in the foyer. Any thoughts on the Golden Globes? Do let us know. Um, obviously, yeah, when we'll be talking more about the Oscars and as as it comes closer to the time. Uh, anyway, we'll be back shortly with popcorn movies. 
So, popcorn movies, the section of the show where Paul and I, and sometimes bit part contributor, producer Jack, uh, chip in <laughs> the with... Heart of, you mean the heart of the show, Jack Mills, The you? beating heart yeah. of this show. The engine yeah. that drives us. That is right. <laughs> uh, yes, we pitch in with just short-form reviews of films that we've seen in the last seven days. Uh, we're all eagerly scribbling down our list for this year, trying to get to that Mr. 365 level that Paul reached <laughs> last year. Um, do you want to kick off, Paul? Shall I go first? What, what do you prefer? I'll give it a go. Okay. I'll give it a go. So this is uh, Shin Godzilla. Uh, this is directed, co-directed by two people and whose names I'm going to completely butcher here. So it's Hideki Anno and Shinji Higuchi. Doesn't I've done a terrible job with those two names, to be honest. Um, and it said this is Shin Godzilla from last year. So this is um, Toho Studios, um, who basically they funded and created the original Godzilla films way back in the 1950s. Yeah, I must um, admit, Paul, when, when I saw that you'd seen this, I just kind of assumed, oh, Paul's gone off watching Godzilla films from the 50s or 60s again. <laughs> yeah. And it was to my surprise that it's actually a recent release. Yeah, um, and actually, um, did, no one's going to... I was expecting this. No one's going to ask me what Shin means, are they? What does Shin mean, Paul, Okay, no way? worries. Thank you for that. Um no, Shin basically means, I think, new or like resurgence or true. Uh, there's different okay. meanings of it. So some have interpreted this to be a little bit of a dig at the Hollywood attempt by going, oh, look, Toho are going, Godzilla's ours. Um, other people have just said, oh, it's it's kind of a reboot because the, the film is. Just to set the scene, basically, it's like it's not a sequel to anything that's happened already. It does kind of restart the, the story. So um, Godzilla appears very early on in the film as, quite frankly, this really and quite annoying and goofy looking kind of, CGI baby Godzilla creature that gradually evolves and at that point alarm bells really are ringing I was just like right. what have they done to Godzilla like what's going on thankfully as the film goes on Godzilla evolves uh, into the, the creature we all know and love well I love anyway so just a I will say that as as a kid these were some of my favourites I remember having like a VH a triple VHS box set with three of the films in and I used to watch them and all that, the time that yeah. takes dedication for yeah. because to have a three VHS oh, it's set, a massive case it's a lot of shelf space <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot of shelf kids space kids these days don't know how Good, they've um, got it. So yeah, so, and so initially I was a little bit concerned. I was like, why have they redesigned Godzilla into this like goofy monster? And they haven't. It's just like the first form as he evolves into a, a creature you're more familiar with. What's very cool about this film um, is the fact that it, it is absolutely um, from the blueprint of the original film. So the effects are a guy in a suit, but this time around the suit's enhanced by CGI. Mm. which is quite cool so you've got the guy in the suit walking around so he looks rubbery he looks a little bit rubbery and awkward which is how he should look he's 900 odd metres high he's the biggest interpretation of Godzilla yet uh, but he can still like fire lasers out of his back and this kind of thing so the set pieces are absolutely bonkers um, and there's loads of little tanks lined up I don't know if you remember the films where there's there's always a scene in the films where the entire Japanese military turns up uh, and there's just rows and rows of tanks just firing like bullets at him and they just bounce off him so there's loads of that stuff mm-hmm. there's loads of the Americans get involved Godzilla takes out like a, a squadron of stealth bombers it's it's cr- completely crazy but do you know what it's actually quite good so are we talking here because I'm completely in the dark when it comes yeah. to this film are we talking like big budget ish I'd say, big like budget, a... it's, I'd say it's a, it's a big budget Japanese film I would say right. um, I don't know if there's I don't think there's any sort of American money got into it so I mean to if you're used to kind of if if you're used to Hollywood scale special effects, it's going to look ropey. Um, mm. But it's meant to look like that, if that makes sense, because right. the man in a suit thing is there. So it's definitely got the feel of the originals. But actually, it 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 it's a little bit long in places. Some of the political posturing is some like it, it opens and it's set like in the 
in the room in the halls of Japanese government basically about how they respond to this like naturally treat Godzilla as a natural disaster and that stuff's actually quite cool where that you just see it from that perspective and then you cut to the scenes of them trying to combat the monster and it goes back to the the political posturings again some of those scenes are a bit long but for, and I expected this to be a bit crap I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you and actually it's a pretty well made and very decently paced action film that I rather liked and is it available purely on disc or is this streaming anywhere uh, I don't as far know as if it's know? streaming anywhere yet I did pick it, it came up and came out on Blu-ray just before Christmas I right. think um, so I don't know if it's streaming anywhere yet but if you like the originals definitely definitely check this out and actually cool. for anyone else out there as well if you, you know if you can it's got there's a bit of kookiness to some of the effects don't get me wrong but actually very pleasantly surprised it was pretty good cool cool sounds sounds like one worth checking out um, my first popcorn movie for this week is uh, Irma Vep Irma Vep is uh, from director Olivia Assayas that we've talked about quite a bit I think over the last few months it's an early Assayas it is yeah of course we reviewed um, Personal Shopper Clouds of Sils Maria not too long ago that's his, his most recent two films but this one's from way back in 1996 released in the UK in uh, March 97 um, the film is very, very sort of, I don't want to say an oddity, but a very um, sort of unique experience. Because if you've come to Asayas later with his more, more recent stuff, you'll recognise some of the fingerprints here. But we've got a very different um, well setting to begin with, although crossing over with some of the, um, like, in front of and behind the camera stuff that we got particularly in Clouds of Sils Maria. Mm. Basically, the story is that um, Maggie Chung, the uh, esteemed Hong Kong actress that people will know from uh, those those films like um, Hero and stuff like that of the, the early 2000s, uh, she shows up to take the role of uh, Irma Vep. Irma Vep, of course, is an anagram of vampire. Um, ah, they're, doing very a, they're doing a remake <laughs> of the um, early silent film uh, Les Vampires, or the, however the French might yeah. pronounce that. Uh, and instead of casting a French actress, a uh, Hong Kong actress is drafted in, but Maggie Chung is playing herself. To cut this uh, longer, possible longer review shorter, what we get is an actress who gets into this role and at certain points there's sort of a blurring of, a, of the line between reality and fiction between what it takes to make a film and what it takes to be a character on screen in that film right and the very pinnacle of this is a quite tremendous just tremendous scene where uh, Maggie Chung dressed up in uh sort of um PVC uh, PVC yeah I'd say PVC black cat suit um goes on a kind of jewelry stealing mission in a hotel and ends up on a balcony in the rain with some um, expensive jewelry it's just a piece of like pure cinema but the film itself just has a lot of fun uh with playing around with the sort of dynamics between people on set and like I said, what it is behind the curtain to make a film and be involved in mm. that process. Also, and lastly, uh, ends with a real uh, jaw dropper of a, of a ending sequence. Like the last five minutes of this film okay. has, has got to be seen. So, where did you see it? Um, Irma Vet was on Mubi. I okay. think, unfortunately, I may have caught it just before it expired because right. I didn't want to miss it there. It'll but, be back though, I imagine. But it's, yeah, it's available yeah. on disc. It'll be somewhere else soon, I'm sure, if you don't want to get a, a copy of the disc. But yeah, that one's Irma Vet from 1996. Paul, what have you got next? Uh, I've got uh, an absolute treat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as I Lay Dying, um, a James Franco uh, directorial effort from 2013. I didn't realise quite how many films James Franco had made. Oh, there's a lot. 
lot. Um, but there is quite a lot. Um, it's quite surprising, actually. And uh, yeah, I hope they're not all like this. Um, <laughs> to put some context into this, after we recorded the podcast last week, Pete, and you uh, left, myself and Jack had the rest of the day off. So um, I let Jack, bless him, I let him pick a film from the um, from, from the collection. Oh, and, um, oh, I wish I had I hadn't seen this before. And so Jack picked this, which is the reason that we watched it. Um, <laughs> and basically, this is a, a Western, uh, I think, um, as I said, directed by James Franco, um, and it's James Franco trying to be very artistic and very clever, um, and failing miserably. I mean, the film in places and step in it was at any point, Jack. But the film in places for me was version on unintelligible. There's there's gratuitous use of split screen uh, and loads and loads of slow motion, and it's just honestly, it's like a it's like like a nineteen year old film student got yeah. hold of special I mean, effects and just like it was it was awful. Yeah, because. You almost didn't need all those split screens. We didn't need any of it. And, no, and it just it just got me really confused when they first opened, and I thought, you know, the opening scene was just going to use the the crossovers. Well, but... there's one point, the peak. There's one point in this where you have action in one of the sides of the screen, and then a black other half of the split screen. That's how annoying this is. And there's right. one moment. There's one moment, and I know that I, I basically we were sitting there going, "I wish I'd watch this with Pete," because if you think it annoyed me, then it's going to have annoyed you a lot more. There is one point. Pete and I wish I was joking when I say this where one half of the screen was a close up of a wagon wheel and the other half was a close up of cloudy sky and I was at this point I was like fuck off James Franco well, I've had enough of this I mean, but... this, this <laughs> is James Franco taking on the, the source novel from William Faulkner yes. and, and taking on something that feels far too weighty for his, you know, his talents at this moment in time well, you know. it's not a debut he's made no he's made a this. number that's of things is, yeah. that's, that's okay. what I'm saying I was surprised I thought it might be his debut it's not he's made a number oh, of features before, I think. No, uh, I uh, I actually happened to listen to recently. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware of Mark Maron's podcast WTF, which is uh, really really popular. Uh, and he interviewed James Franco and did a sort of retrospective of his career mm. to date. And to his actually to his credit, James Franco basically admits that he throws a lot of shit at the wall and some of it sticks. Okay. Like he he's learning as he goes. Yeah. And it sounds like from what you're saying, that's very much well, what's going on. But there's another here. thing I need to bring up. Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> Tim Blake Nelson is in this, right? And he plays like the uh, the the patriarch of the family. Um, he's supposed to be like the key character that holds the family together. And run, 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 run. That is basically all Tim Blake Nelson does. I cannot understand. Jack, did you understand half of what there Tim was, Blake Nelson says? There were some points where <laughs> I did, you know, I had to listen very closely, but I did understand. But yeah, as you just heard like, uh, the impression there from Paul. You know, he just, he literally, Tim Blake Nelson just walks around with his mouth open the has, entire time. He has no just, teeth either. Just making just like, like, making what I describe as, as like deep south noises. And it, honestly, the film is just garbage. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Uh, well, I wanted to, to tack on Beth Grant's in this. The uh, I'm beginning to question your commitment to Sparkle Vision Lady from yes. Donnie Darko she's the, the woman whose last wish, wish is to be uh, buried in a particular place right yeah. and that's the, the whole film and she's the only that. thing that would attract me to seeing this so you've probably uh, she's in it very it, briefly at the beginning. do not time, see right? this like yeah. James, James Franco stick to comedy Disaster Artist was, was well enough made that was quite funny Stick to comedy, or go and work with a, go and work with a director who can show you what you to do, and you don't need to do this. Uh, and whilst we're here, Paul, just as a public service, uh, there's a film that's come out uh, recently. I think the end of 2017 on Netflix called The Vault, which is another James Franco project. Although he didn't direct it, avoid that like the plague. As oh, okay, well. right. no, no more needs to be here. said about yes. that. 
Um, I think that pretty much wraps us up for popcorn, uh, doesn't it? Except for my second popcorn movie. Have you got before? a second popcorn movie? I, I do apologise, because I, I usually I've got do. so excited, it's lagging off as I lay dying that I've interrupted I'll you. I'll keep it brief. Pretty continue. Th- this one is very much worth your time, unlike that one. It's the directorial feature debut of a director called Kevin Phillips. Uh, the film is called Super Dark Times, and it's now streaming on Netflix. This film you've seen as well, haven't you, Paul? Yes, I watched it, I watched it last night, in fact. Right, so th- this uh, revolves around a group of teenage friends uh, who experience a terrible event slash accident, uh, slash being the operative word here, I suppose. Yeah. When you see the film, you'll understand. Um, and then they have to deal with the fallout and consequences of what has happened on the particularly fateful day. Really, all I want to say about Super Dark Times because I think people should see it for themselves, so that you know we don't tread on any of the the intro. Very easy to spoil it as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that really what struck me is the the naturalism of at least the majority of this film and the confidence and the assuredness for a first time and fairly young director. It was really, it really kind of took my breath away at, at certain points early on, just in the way that the the staging of this was handled and the sort of lensing of some of these shots and arrangements. Of, of the material really really impressive I think in the end it maybe buckles under its own weight a little bit by the time it gets towards its its last act but Super Dark Times to me led me to believe that Kevin Phillips is certainly one to watch for the future and um, Charlie Tahan as well who's in the cast here the floppy haired lad who is uh, particularly tortured in in this one <laughs> is uh, is really very good as well so yeah I really enjoyed it and I'd recommend it as a sort of uh, creepy uh, coming of age thriller drama that, that's available right now. I think yeah, I'd agree with that. To be fair, I think my for my money, it started well, wobbled a little bit in the middle, and I think brought it back towards the end. But certainly, as as you've said, there a, a very assured uh, debut from the director. So yeah. should mention Owen Campbell as well as the other the main male lead young guy. I haven't seen him in much, and I thought he was really really good. So yeah. yeah, good performances, good direction, and yeah, Kevin Phillips wants to watch this Super Dark Times uh, from 2017. Now on Netflix. Now on Netflix. That does bring us to the end of the popcorn movies section. So we'll be back in in just a moment with our coming attractions. So back we are. Um, coming attractions. My pick for this week is a film that I think we've may have mentioned. I think I mentioned mentioned it briefly in my review of um, that film. I've forgotten the name of, so I'll move past that. This is Downsizing uh, <laughs> by Alexander Payne. Um, so yeah, Downsizing by Alexander Payne um, is uh, we're going to see it tomorrow, actually, aren't we, guys? Which is very generous. That's correct. Yeah, part of an advanced pre- screening. So I think it's tomorrow. I think it's out on the nineteenth. I want to say um, so it's not far off. So this is for me. This is good. So this is a film that's out within a week. Normally, my coming attractions are months away. Um, so basically, the central concept of this is uh, science develops a way to I think kind of save the world really by miniaturizing people so they use less resources. I think that's generally the gist of it, isn't it? Um, and you've got Matt Damon um, who decides to get miniaturized. Um, and it, and it kind of goes from there really um, it looks to me like it's going to be very very funny and very creative um, Alexander Payne I think is on a great run of films to be fair was Nebraska did, his last film? Did, did, just, oh yeah Nebraska since The Descendants isn't it? yeah, yeah, I think you're yeah right Nebraska, so Nebraska was his last film I've never seen The Descendants but Sideways is great Alexander Payne is a director I'm very very fond of um, I like the idea of we haven't had like a small people film for a while I don't think no, no. For, want of a, for want of a well, better term I mean I watched The Borrowers the other day but... okay The Borrowers The Incredible Shrinking Man was the yeah, film yeah I was, was going to say yeah, yeah, that's, that's the film I was thinking of so um 
Yeah, I think it's going to owe a lot to the Incredible Shrinking Man. We haven't had, I would say, well, the Borrowers, I suppose, and then before that, probably Honey, I Sh- the Honey I Shrunk the Kids movies. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there there are others, but yeah, yeah those are the, the those are the ones, ones that come to mind. So I'm quite excited about this so with with current special effects and, and where we stand at the moment. I think the film will look great. Um, it should be interesting. I think it will be interesting to see how Alexander Payne handles something of an effects movie because mm. that's definitely going to come into it because normally I mean this is probably a first for him in terms of you worked on Jurassic Park 3 I, I believe okay <laughs> but it's a while <laughs> yeah. ago but you see what I mean in, yeah. in terms of something of a budget so yeah I'm, I'm quite looking for, I'm very much looking forward to this one actually I think it will be a lot of fun yeah it looks really good uh, and as you say good. out very very soon save me from that bumbled mess of a review <laughs> I've got uh, for coming attraction this time uh, Last Flag Flying which is the new one from Richard Linklater obviously we were blown away by Boyhood uh, Everybody Wants Some was really, really good as the follow-up. Uh, excited about this. We reviewed a load of Richard Linklater, I think, on this show, even in the, the short time that we've been doing it. The only sort of trepidation I have here is that, the, you know, it's not the be-all, end-all, but the meta score going into this preview is 66. Okay. So it seems like there's a bit of uh, division in terms of critical opinion anyway. Um, it stars uh, a few recognisable faces. Uh, Steve Carell... Lawrence Fishburne and Brian Cranston, of course, from uh, Breaking Bad, and seems to be the story is based around um, a group of men who served together in Vietnam and um, the reuniting of this group of buddies of old uh, mates to bury the son of one of the three. I think it's Steve Carell's son, in fact. It looks like fairly serious and perhaps even self-serious material for Richard Linklater, so we'll see how that goes because that's a bit, obviously, of a departure from Everybody Wants Some, which was the last one out. Um, He's a director that I I like with almost everything he's done, so I, I would... I find it hard to believe that I would not at least like this film, if not love it. But we will see. When's it? When's it uh, out? The release here? date in the UK it's is vague. <laughs> is January the twenty sixth. So okay. not long away. No. Just the end of this month. Um, that one uh, again is Last Flag Flying. Good. Cool. So, well, I was going to say that uh, the film I'm looking forward to. Have you watched the trailer? Have you? Checked? Yeah, I have watched the trailer. <laughs> hey. um, Twelve strong. I don't know if you've. Oh, is yeah, that the I've one seen with the name. Michael Shannon yeah. and Chris Hemsworth. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. so it's I saw that um, trailer earlier. Just after the nine eleven bombing, when they um, America take over Afghanistan or Iraq, I can't remember which one it is, but it's based on these twelve soldiers that become known as the Twelve Horsemen, basically, right, okay. and so they go after terrorists, basically. But yeah, it looked really good, and I always sort of look forward to that sort of modern army film. And you said Michael Shannon's in this one. Yes. So I've just seen definitely the worst Michael Shannon film ever. Again, another one to avoid, like the plague. It's like a new service on our show, which is <laughs> avoid, called Avoid Avoid. Uh, well, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll do that. Uh, it's called Pottersville. It's on Netflix. I don't know what was happening. So yeah, Jack, if you're recommending a decent thing with Michael Shannon, very yeah, okay. exciting. Okay, I think. cool. Because we yeah. like Michael Shannon a lot. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm going for that. I did see the trailer earlier today actually, and, and the film has kind of crept up on us. When's that out? I think it's February, isn't it? Yes, Is it? it's very soon. Yeah. 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 Good. Right. In which case, we'll be back shortly with our feature reviews which are this week Hostiles and All the Money in the World. So yeah, our first uh, feature film this week is Hostiles. Uh, Hostiles is about Christian Bale, basically. Um, it's not really about no, Christian no, Bale, is it, Jack? It's about a character <laughs> portrayed by... Yeah, who directed so, it, Jack? Who directed it? Yeah. 
don't actually know. I can't. You don't remember. know. No, well, no, we've no. let you set up a film, and you've come up without the director. Yeah. So <laughs> the main sort of story of this is Christian Bale uh, plays a grizzled captain of the American Uni- Union Army. Um, it's set in about 1892, um, and he's given the task of ex- uh, escorting a dying Native American chief and his family to their homeland. So he goes from to Montana, basically, where the homeland is. Yeah. So, so to fill in the blank, is Scott Cooper is the director yeah. that we'll know, or some people will know anyway, from things like In the Furnace, which was so-so, I think we would agree. Maybe. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and um, Black Mass, which I don't think either of us have seen. Yet, no, or Crazy Heart was better though. Crazy, Crazy Heart, Heart yeah, as well. Um, so, yeah, the moment it holds a meta score of sixty-five. And um, obviously the hostiles of the title refers to many and potentially all things in a fairly unforgiving um, sort of revisionist Western environment that Scott Cooper has, uh, has painted here, as, as Jack was explaining. Before we get into our thoughts, Paul, let's hear a little clip. I saw what happened to the fourth when Yellowhawk and his dog soldiers got done with them. And there wasn't a... Don't you dare laugh. There wasn't enough left of those poor men to fill a slop pail. Understand, when we lay our heads down out here, we're all prisoners. I hate them. I got a war bag of reasons to hate them. Right, and as you can probably ascertain from that clip, um, the one thing I will say going into this is, uh, if you don't like Christian Bale, and you don't like Christian Bale taking himself very, very seriously, stay well away from this film. Um, This is Christian Bale in pure sort of screen-chewing, look-at-me-I'm-an-actor territory. Yes. um, Which, if you like, is good. I don't, I happen to quite like him in these kind of roles, but there are moments, there are moments in this where you just go, dial it down. Just just dial it down for a moment. Um, The film is bleak and that would be an understatement the from the harrowing opening scene um, yeah i mean i think you can probably explain a little bit about what happens at the beginning yes yeah, it's, it's very much at the beginning so yeah so basically um there's, there's like a family homestead that is attacked by these nasty comanche indians um and the rattlesnakes yes the rattlesnakes and um basically the a whole family is almost butchered and rosamund pike's children are shot and it's yeah it's it's as harrowing as you as you might think and it kind of sets the tone so if that doesn't appeal uh, again, to you then again just just to be clear here yeah. uh, rosalie quaid's children rosalie are quaid's, killed. Yes, rosamund yes. pike's children if yes. she has any i'm hopefully are absolutely yeah. absolutely fine but yeah you're right paul it's a bracingly like horrific opening to a film and from that point on as you're quite rightly saying this is serious with a capital s yeah and sort of bleak with a capital or be isn't it? Uh, we go out on this journey that, that Jack mentioned. Um, this escorting escorting journey sounds wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, kind of uh, yeah. Christian Bell's character is acting as an escort, and he's got to take a job that he essentially doesn't want. Right, no, because he, he, he hates American Indians, doesn't he? He's, kind of he's got some very strong negative feelings towards oh, Native America, as you heard in the clip that we just played. Yeah, as well. and so having to do the job that he's tasked with is something that requires a lot of arm twisting, um, to say the least. And once on this journey, it's very early on, actually, where he seems to sort of turn on his charges and, and tell them the way that things are going to be from here on out. Um, it soon soon becomes apparent that to some degree there's going to have to be cooperation if some 
or even all of them are to survive this journey to the homeland to which they're re- returning Paul um, y- yeah you said this is bleak you said you enjoy Christian Bale uh, did this film work for you uh, as a whole uh, yes it did um, I, I know it won't work for everyone uh, and I've got I, I, whilst I was watching it I was sitting there going Pete's not going to have enjoyed this film I, I think we've worked together long enough now I sat there and was like Pete is not going to have liked this film um, so I'll be surprised if you did but we'll get to that in a minute for me, I think if you go if you go into a film with the tra- with the way that even when the trailer was set up, you go into a film expecting this to be dark. You expect it to be, and I would say it's unapologetically long in places, and it's unapologetically a miserable film uh, because revisionist westerns tend to be, and also the world in which this film is set was not a pleasant place to be. So for me, it worked really well on that basis. Yes, it's long in places. Yes, it can be very very dour. Um, but I like that for revisionist westerns. I thought it looked absolutely fantastic um, and looked exactly how a western should look. Um, and being a fan of revisionist, it evoked a bit like the proposition of me or like the films of John Hillcoat or that kind of thing. Mm. It evoked that. Maybe not quite as good as the proposition, but I still liked it a lot. Um, you didn't like it, did you, Pete? Was that is uh, that correct? I don't know if I did. I, di- <laughs> I didn't like it. I just felt that this, um, all the things that you're saying are, are basically, I think, true. The, the issue that I had maybe with um, this film and what else little that I've seen from Scott Cooper, admittedly, is that I felt that this is all to what end? What, what, what I took away from the film is essentially that we've established this world in which the hostiles, as I sort of touched upon at the beginning, the hostiles are the uh, Native Americans, but they're also the um, settling... Uh, you know, pilgrim new arrivals yeah. on those lands. Um, they're also the people who are closest to you. They're the people in opposition to you. They're a, the people that you used to have close relationships with who have now turned on you. Okay, so everybody in the environment is potentially a hostile. I've got that. And then I feel like the film doesn't do a lot with that. I, I, I don't really see what, what there was to take away further than, like you said, Paul, that, you know, it's a bleak environment. It was a difficult time to be alive. OK, but why are we pulling out 1892 at this point in history? And maybe that's something that I look for too much when I go to a film like this. But it's very hard to say, just enjoy it on your own merits when so little of what's on screen is in any way enjoyable. There's just a lot of misery and suffering. A lot of, um, like, again, you correctly said, like a lot of a chance for people like Rosamund Pike and Christian Bale to show their chops as a, as a you know, troubled, haunted, savagely um, ill-treated human being pounding the earth and screaming to the skies. But like that bit was overdone. But, even but, even I'll admit that. But but, but yeah. what? But what are we? What are we doing it for? I I I found that hard to to countenance. And when we get to the film's resolution, which I won't spoil. Again, I just felt like this is all sort of an exercise in in sort of posturing and 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 just sort of a, a bit of a showcase for being able to present this material without any real destination or point. I, I, I agree I agree to a point but I think it, it's just another it, just another it doesn't do anything new with with the material I, I'll give you that but I just think it's another example of just how a horrible time it was really and it just I suppose yeah it, it doesn't do anything new with its subject matter no um and there are similar films out there that are probably better um but I just, for me, it's. I, I think also for me, it's quite easy to get carried away in the fact that I really like. I really like modern day westerns. I really like them. 
I like a lot of westerns in fairness not just modern day westerns but when a western gets onto the cinema screen again I do get quite excited there's actually one there so maybe I got a bit carried away but, with that but would you not agree um, if, we're, if we're making a western we we're bringing it to the screen in, in 2018 and um, the, obviously fundamental to the plot here and in many of the films of the genre is an invading force or uh, forgive the pun a hostile force in a particular yeah. environment whether you believe that to be one side or the other then we're clearly as 2018 viewers going to have the current political landscape in mind and Scott Cooper knows that as well yeah but I, that's where I guess my criticism main criticism comes from is like I don't think Scott Cooper's actually that interested in dealing with um, oppressed peoples, in in dealing with an invading force, in dealing with the repercussions and ripple effect of those things, further than showing sort of the, the visceral nature of man's violence against man I don't know I think the Christian Bell character goes has an arc at least that, that he has an arc and he, his mind changes that actually not everyone's the same and he shouldn't judge everyone and then right, the, those, the Indian chief changes his mind on Christian Bell and ends up calling him a friend I, so I'd say that arc's there I agree with you film no, I, about a sort of wider acceptance I agree with you that that arc's there I just found it to be fairly superficial it, it, it doesn't to, to me say anything particularly interesting it's fairly rote and it felt like I, I saw on a poster for this movie that it may become the defining western of this generation and I just thought like what a sad thought that would be I mean it, it just felt like this this movie could be made again in a couple of years and it will have a, a, yeah the same non-impact on me I'll have forgotten about this film I think in, I think in it, a few it, months it had, it had an impact it had a, probably a bigger visual impact on me than it did on oh, the it looks matter. beautiful yeah, I think, no, I think the beautiful. visual I would I would agree with you. Yeah, it doesn't do anything new. The point, it, the points it makes have been certainly made before. Um, I thought the point. I thought as a western, I thought it was still a well-made western, and it looked fantastic. The looks had a bigger impact on me than yeah, the subject matter. That, no, would, that's a, that's a great that, point, yeah. and I'm glad you brought it up, and we don't miss it. One thing I really did appreciate about this film is not just generally the look of it, but the fact that we have a western here that takes this journey through changing and sort of undulating environments. It's not all the same nondescript yes, barren land. We've got stuff in like um, veg vegetation on greenery going up and down hills and things like that on horseback which I think actually yeah was very well presented and was very well handled I just wish it was all in service of something a little bit more interesting or, or important I'll tell you what though it was a lot better than As I Lay Dying <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sounds that way oh, yeah. a different time period well, as well Jack, Jack come in on this one I mean yeah, are you, do you feel what I feel about this film do you feel it had more to say I mean what... I have I have to say you know I for a lot of it I was you know I was quite bored but mm. actually, the, I think the positive I really took from this, as you said, was you know the scenery and the shot, the different shots of the mountains and the the land, different landscapes that they travelled through. I thought that was fantastic, and some of the shots were just mind blowing. Uh, mm. I think there was one for me where uh, the chief was looking across some mountains, and it sort of cross faded into the mountains, and you sort of saw his face still. I thought that was um, quite nice. Um, yeah, and I think. To be fair, as I watched it more and more, I sort of began to enjoy the sort of the connection of humanity and sort of forgiveness. And I think that's what made me carry on watching it, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I want your guys' opinions too on something else that struck me when I was watching this film, which is that I'm not convinced Scott Cooper can shoot action at least at scale because one thing that came to mind is you know the sequence in um, The Revenant where Inuratu did that that um, bow and arrow scene where you're sort of uh, rotating around the scene and yeah. following and it's like an unbroken shot or at least it seems that way and it's very sort of um, 
uh, visceral, I'm repeating that word, but yeah, it has this really big impact on you because you're very clear about the coherent nature of the action. Who's shooting who when? You know, what impact is that having? What I found about this film is when when the action starts in terms of, you know, shots or arrows being fired back and forth, (laughs) it was almost entirely incoherent at times. Where What I mean by this is like the camera would cut to the person delivering the shot, cut away to the person receiving the shot, but the kind of visual language was broken yeah. there. It felt Did quite you... disconnected. That's exactly the um, word I would so have used I didn't, for it. Yeah. I didn't pick that up, but it's an interesting point. Now I'm thinking, because I only saw it, what, a couple of hours ago. Yeah. It's not something <laughs> yeah. that jumped out at me. Yeah, it just, say, but... it just felt like, if, if not entirely bad, then just a little bit substandard. I don't, I, I don't think there was enough gunfights or sort of, you know, there wasn't enough action in this film for me. That's not what the film was ever meant to be, though. No, it was never meant to be. It was never even advertised as an, as an action western. No, I suppose not. Yeah, but I mean, if you've come out of it, Jack, feeling like for a lot of the time you were bored, then maybe, yeah, maybe it's a, a, a good criticism, a valid criticism. I was thinking, oh, this was going to be more, there were going to be more action between, you know, the different sort of Native yeah. Americans and what's the guy is it, I want to say James Gray but I don't think that's right is it James Gray the director of The Lost City of, of Z James Gray yeah. James Gray yeah. uh, so I'm pretty sure it's James Gray it, yeah. even obviously we're, talk, we're dealing with a completely different location and period but when they go into that jungle and the arrows start flying like I found that so much more like thrilling sounds like the wrong word because mm. we're supposed to be dealing with the west and as you say it's like very bleak and dark times but yeah as, as just a piece of, of cinema I found uh, save for the beautiful scenery and the sort of changing nature of that, I found it a little bit, um, yeah, just just under stimulating and, and and maybe a bit forgettable. Uh, but I, I don't dislike it. I don't. I'd hate say it there, anyway. there's there's better revisionist westerns out there, um, but I enjoyed it um, and I liked it quite. I, a lot. I liked it a lot for its for its visuals, I think, and for its um, for the fact that it is just a western on put, the big screen again. Put put those two head to head. Would you sooner watch this again or The Revenant again? The Revenant. I yeah, think me too. Film. I mean, I I, The Revenant was a better film. It's yeah. not like that's yeah. the bar, but They're yeah, similar. I, there are sim- there are very much similarities between it, the two it films. Gives you an yeah, idea. The, Rev- the Revenant is a better film, I think. Yeah. Cool. So that was our uh, our first popcorn review of this week. Is Hostiles, but we will be back in just a moment with a, f- a review of Ridley Scott's All the Money in the World. So back we are. Um, I could try and set this up, but I'm terrible at it. Pete, do you want to set up all the money in the world for us? Well, I think the main setup that needs to be uh, done here is to say that if people are unaware, um, Ridley Scott, of course, the director of this movie, originally, I understand, had in mind uh, Christopher Plummer for the lead role, which is the man who took the role in the end, uh, circuitously, because first of all, we had uh, Kevin Spacey filming, I think, most of the film. Yeah, uh, I think it was pretty much finished, wasn't it? Before the studio removed him on, obviously, the basis of the recent revelations in his uh, sort of personal slash professional life. I think it's because he life. didn't apologise for what he'd done and um, right. Scott didn't enjoy that. I think Ridley really Scott said it was a purely business decision, I think, in the oh, end, okay. to, to cut him out. To distance um, yeah. from that, yeah. that yeah. situation. Yeah, and you can completely understand that. So what we have is Christopher Plummer coming in at sort of the 11th hour and filming a load of sequences that and then... the cost of $10 million, I think, is wow. how much it cost wow. Yeah, to reshoot, to reshoot. Yeah, to reshoot uh, his, the Kevin Spacey scenes. And, yeah. and but Christopher Plummer, a guy in his 80s, by the way, so incredible achievement, really, to, to do that amount of work in that short frame of, of time. And then... Uh, Ridley Scott, obviously incredibly experienced director, managing to stitch together a film that 
we'll get on to it, but I think has, has come out really surprisingly well, I, considering I this, agree, uh, yeah. this birthing process that it had to go through. Um, also in this one, we have uh, Michelle Williams, um, Mark Wahlberg and Roman Dury. And the basic setup is uh, we're dealing here with a sort of, let's say true well, true story in inverted commas because I think there's a lot of um, artistic license taken of uh, J.P. Getty, John Paul Getty and the kidnapping of one of his grandchildren for uh, uh, the, the, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, ransom. Ransom, yes. Of, uh, originally $17 million I 17, think, yeah. before that is negotiated down a little bit. Before we get into our thoughts let's hear a clip. With oil up as much as it was this morning, you have amassed another fortune. Well, what if the embargo is lifted and oil were to crash? I'd be exposed. I have never been more vulnerable financially than I am right now. Mr. Getty, with all due respect, nobody has ever been richer than you are at this moment. I have no money to spare. What would it take? I mean, what would it take for you to feel secure? more so yeah that was also mark Wahlberg's voice you could hear there who is in this with michelle williams as well um yeah i'm gonna we'll we'll start off i think on the fact that this was cut together at the last minute which we touched on and i think a lot of ridley scott gets a a fairly bad rap these days and for for alien covenant probably deservedly so and he's certainly not making the films that he used to make i would would say that's 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 fair to say but You've got to give him credit here, Pete, for the fact that this was cut together at the last minute. It does not feel like a film where someone's been cut out of and it's no, been it strung like together. Christopher it, Plummer really, it feels like Christopher Plummer's been in it the whole the time, and that yeah. and that I would, you know, I would give Ridley Scott all the all the credit in the world for, uh, <laughs> in fact, because uh, it really doesn't. And um, I have to say as well that just and again the Chris the whole Christopher Plummer thing is the fact I actually prefer Christopher Plummer. I prefer Christopher Plummer any day of the week to Kevin Spacey in slightly dodgy prosthetics. Well, he seems absolutely cut out for this role, and that's why I mentioned that I. I believe Ridley Scott wanted him in mm. the first place before yeah. studio pressure sort of made the decision for him. Uh, John Paul Getty, in case people are unaware, was this um, multi-billionaire oil man who became, um, by all accounts, the richest man on earth for a period of time. Yeah, well, the richest man ever on earth, I think. Right, yeah. at, the, at that time, yeah. And um, so here, once his... Well, we should explain that, yes, his grandson is kidnapped, but his grandson's... Um, Parents played by Michelle Williams and the other actor. I've completely forgotten yeah, because he's not in it very much, is he? Cause... Yeah, basically, the relationship between that family unit and John Paul Getty is fractured, and it's only um, relatively early on that they are summoned to meet him, I believe, in Rome yeah. to discuss their connection, the family tie, and the fact that they may be in line to play a further, like, bigger role in the Getty uh, empire. Going forward, it turns out that the um, John Paul Getty's son here, so the father of the kid that gets kidnapped, turns into a fairly degenerate drunken drug addict, and it's left to Michelle Williams to try to pick up the pieces and work alongside the likes of Mark Wahlberg's character to bring about the safe return of yeah. her son. I, I just, I really enjoyed this, I have to say. I'll, I'll throw it out there. Mark Wahlberg is not an actor I normally rate particularly highly, although can do very well, and I think Mark Wahlberg does very well here. Oh, he does. Um, Michelle Williams is a very good actress, so I think Pete rates very, very highly indeed. And again, he's, he's fantastic here. Christopher Plummer is great, uh, as we've discussed. For me, do you know what? I, I came out of this going, actually, do you know what? That was really quite good. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was very well paced. It was enjoyable. 
enjoyable it was an enjoyable thriller it didn't rewrite the rule book it's not up there with Ridley Scott's best films but it's certainly it's certainly I'd say up there with The Martian in terms of quality and I just think everyone everyone delivers in this like the, the, in terms of performances especially again Mark Wahlberg I just yeah I enjoyed it a lot I thought it was a lot of fun I, I'm going to develop a theme this week I think um, I think I like this well I did like this one more than Hostiles however I would say, yeah, I agree with you, Paul, that I think it was very well staged. I think Ridley Scott is the kind of director that has such um, such a, a, a sort of level of um, skill at like creating worlds and visual presentation of the material that you almost immediately feel like you're living in this period of time, which yeah. I think is to, absolutely to the film's credit. Well, he's down, a details man, isn't he? he yeah. yeah, he yeah. is. And, and down to the sort of washed out, um, almost grayscale look of the whole thing. Uh, the beautiful costume work I want to mention in this one as well. I think some of the outfits that Michelle Williams is given to wear are yeah. fantastic. And maybe it's a weird thing, again, to focus on. However, um, I would say in line with some of Ridley Scott, maybe more of Ridley Scott's uh, recent output, I did feel like the film was a bit of a shrug. Um, I okay. felt like it, I know what you mean. Actually, it, it's yeah. a, it's an ample sort of capable um, thriller with, I I would argue maybe not that many I thrills. It, actually, it lacked in sort of suspense and. I, I'm with you. Really I'm with you on that, Jack. I I think it's it's all very well put together. Yeah. Um, like you said, Paul. I think the performances by and large are good. I think Michelle Williams has definitely been better elsewhere, but she's far from bad here. Right? If she's ever bad. Um, and I like the Roman Jury performance to a decent degree. He's going to beat my heart skip, so he's always going to get points for me on that one. So. Um, yeah, and, and as you've mentioned, Paul, and as we were talking about, I think Christopher Plummer, for me, is really the reason to watch this movie. Oh, totally, because yeah. it's a real powerhouse so uh, performance. As well. And yeah. yeah, like, given this history of the, the troublemaking of the film, the, give the guy an award. I mean, it's, oh, a, absolutely. it's an incredible achievement. However, I couldn't help but think when it came to an end, and I don't want to repeat myself on the Hostiles review, but I'm I'm going to forget about this quite quickly. I, I don't think. don't get me wrong; I, it's not going to be sitting anywhere near on like my films of the year list or anything like that. But I thought for for what it was, mm. which if you if like a, let's say like a Saturday morning thriller, um, I think it, I think it succeeds. I think there's a lot worse films out there. I don't think it's incredible by any stretch. Um, but I think it, it does enough right for to be an entertaining oh, no. jaunt to the cinema. I'm with fairness. you, Paul. But like, obviously, we can't. We've got to be crediting or expecting more of the director Ridley Scott than he, there are worse films out there. Surely, I mean, that's no. I give you that. And, it, and, and in fairness, that, again, it? this this might also my my joy at watching this film might be due to the weight of the very low expectations I went into it with because it's Ridley Scott and Alien Covenant was a crap. Um, <laughs> I did not expect, and also with with what had gone on in production, I don't think anyone expected a lot from this. So I think. Think maybe maybe it's because it wasn't a complete disaster that I've come up going oh I really quite like that but I did no I'd still I'd still say it's got merit and and a real um like real peak in terms of on-screen misers I think yes but like other than uh, what have we reviewed recently maybe uh, Muppets Christmas Carol might have uh, <laughs> Michael Caine's performance in there as a as a, a great miser of the ages but here uh, J P Getty uh, says, says things in this film like ah. Uh, Oh, he can't. Oh, he has no money to spare. Yeah. Because uh, what if the price of oil plummets? Therefore, he's going to be exposed, and therefore he can't pay even a single dollar. How much would you be willing to pay for the safe release and passage of your grandson? 
nothing. Yeah. <laughs> he, he even rationalises this by saying, uh, it, I've got 12 grandchildren, I think he says, and if I were to pay this ransom, I would then have 12 kidnapped grandchildren. Yeah. Which, I mean, has a sort of rationality <laughs> about it. You, point. You've yeah. almost got to admire that. I mean, it kind of does make sense when you're the richest man in the world, but like astonishingly miserly behaviour by the guy, which really is the thing that pull, pulls this narrative along because all of the time you're sort of there with Michelle Williams sort of banging your head against the wall like, when is this guy finally going to cave in yeah. and just open his checkbook and <laughs> um, save the day, I suppose, and, and release the, the hostage and, and so on and so forth. Also a very grisly scene in this film that took me a little bit by surprise. Yes. Uh, a yes. trigger warning Ooh, in case yeah. you, you don't like yeah, bodily, has, yeah, has bodily mutilations. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but yeah, has a moment, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I don't want to be a downer on it, Paul, because I think that your points are all valid. I think All the Money in the World is uh, an entertaining watch and it's worth a trip to the cinema um, on general release right now, actually. Yeah. Um, especially if you like anything of recent Ridley Scott output and any of the actors that we've mentioned involved in this. So, yeah, far from bad, I would say. Yes. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe a little bit short of good, in my opinion. But. <laughs> right, I think that's about it, isn't it? So, yes, find us on strangerscinema.co.uk where you can find all the old episodes, uh, at Strangers Cinema on Instagram, uh, at Strangers Cinema on Twitter as well. And that's about it from us for this week. We'll be back next week uh, with reviews of Downsizing and The Darkest Hour. Good stuff. Really? See you next time. Bye. Shut up and sit down.